Hello and welcome back to the latest Tink Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Positioned on the western edge of Europe, Ireland has the potential to power itself and export electricity to nations across the continent using offshore wind turbines. However, according to Adam Crowland from DP Energy, unless the country moves fast, this window of opportunity will close. So I'm joined today by Adam Cronin from DP Energy. Adam leads DP Energy's technical and engineering teams in the deliveries of the company's exciting and ambitious offshore renewable energy developments. Um, basically, what we're looking at here is future wind farms that are out to sea and ultimately how much these will contribute to our uh, renewable energy needs. Ireland, as you know, is looking for a, cl- a target of 70% of renewable ener- electricity by 2030. So you're very welcome, Adam. Thank you very much, John. Great to be here. Um, just to just to say, like, I mean, the the I, I, we travel the highways and byways of Ireland today, and like whether you're in Donegal or you're in Offaly or anywhere Kerry, you see these nice, uh, you know, it depends on your opinion. Some people like them, some people don't, but they they are around us. And according to um, Wind Energy Ireland, uh, since the start of the year, thirty seven percent of Ireland's wind energy or renewable energy needs have been served by uh, wind energy, or sorry, that's Ireland's electricity needs. So that's 37%. Ireland does have a target of 70% by 2030. So when you bring uh, ocean-based wind uh, farms into into the equation, that could change that picture considerably. But as far as I'm aware, apart from the onshore uh, wind farms, I'm not aware of a huge amount of offshore in Ireland. Is that a fair assessment? It is a fair assessment, John, for, for, for I suppose, progress to date. Um, you're quite right. We have, we've developed quite a lot of, of, of onshore wind farms um, across Ireland. Um, there can be difficulties with, with, with consenting those. But the, the move really internationally, uh, uh, and including Ireland, is to, is to go offshore. Back in the 90s, there was a small-scale project, the Arklow Wind Farm on the Arklow Banks. Um, I'm sure lots of your listeners would be familiar with that. Um, and, and we kind of, at the time, would you believe it, in the mid-90s, Ireland was world leaders in that, that, that we had the more offshore wind farms, wind turbines than anybody else. But um, we didn't move on from there. Um, but however, we are we are looking at very, very seriously um, moving offshore uh, for, for Ireland's needs. Just, just a couple of points on some of the targets, if I can, John. In actual fact, that, that 70% renewable target by 2030 was increased to 80% just at the end of last year. The Climate Action Plan was updated, and that, that, that's very important because we see the government committing to increasing that number all the time. And a figure that we're really interested in is really the net zero by 2050. So a desire for both Europe and Ireland um, to be carbon neutral by 2050. And the only way we're going to do that is generating electricity renewably at scale, and for that we need to go offshore. And you know, when it goes, when it comes to offshore, I mean, I I, f- I remember like years ago flying over somewhere like Denmark or Sweden and looking out to sea and seeing these graceful um, structures. I mean, and what I what I remember thinking at the time, these are far out to sea. They're actually not hugging the coastline in terms of what we think. So, you know, unlike with a lot of the people who may may have have a have a, have a grudge against the onshore ones, you know, unless you got really really good eyesight. Um, these these have got to be like you know good bits off the coast. Uh, is that what you guys are planning? And tell tell us about DP Energy's own plans in terms of like the amount of of, of farms you you see yourself building. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. Yeah, well, look, DP Energy have been around for thirty years, um, and they're one of Ireland's oldest renewable developers. They're a family business, actually run by a mother and son team who founded the company. Wow. And, and, and originally, <laughs> originally would have been. Um, um, onshore wind uh, in, in Northern Ireland, and they've ex- they've ex- expanded and extended that brief 
We now have a presence in the UK, Australia and Canada. And, and in recent years, offshore um, has become a very important um, space for us. So for Ireland, uh, we needed a partner because offshore projects are, are huge, huge complex projects. And we needed a partner with expertise. And, and we, we spoke to many different partners. But ultimately, we, we, we formed a joint venture with um, a former Spanish utility uh, called Iberdrola, um, one of the world's biggest renewable developers with huge experience offshore. Indeed, they, they own um, Scottish Power and they own Avangrid in, in the US. And that, that's been a, a, an amazing relationship for us. And at the moment, we have three gigawatts of projects. So we've got three one gigawatt projects planned in Ireland with a pipeline beyond that, I might add. We have um, one project on the east coast, which we call Shellman Air. It's off the coast of Wexford. We have a floating wind farm aspiration off the core coast called Inish Elga. And we have another floating project um, just off the Shannon Estuary called Claris as well. And just for, for, for context, each of those projects is, is, is nominally one gigawatt of, of power generation. That's enough power to power between seven and 800,000 homes per farm. These are very, very big energy generation projects. And that's the thing as well. I mean, when you, when you see these, I mean, um, I remember attending a conference once about 10 years ago and it was pointed out that, look, I mean, Ireland as, a, as an island, when you add up the entire length of our coastline, it's probably one of the biggest in Europe, actually. Do, could could we potentially serve a lot of Europe's needs if it was a, you know, a, a huge interconnector situation where you could actually export energy to Europe? I think that is the, the, the plan eventually. And we, DP here, we'd love to see that. Um, we, 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 like Ireland's targets, Ireland doesn't need all, all, all the electricity we could potentially generate from, from our offshore uh, projects. Uh, there's been various studies looking at the West Coast, for instance, and it ranges from between 70 and 90 gigawatts capacity there. At the moment, Ireland is about a seven gigawatt requirement um, to, to run, it, run itself, to run the country. But that will change, obviously. As we move towards net zero, we probably need to be generating about 30 gigawatts of, of renewable by that 2050 date. But of course, if, if there's 90 gigawatts on just the West Coast and we only need, say, 30 as a round figure, you know, that leaves 60 gigawatts uh, capable to be free to be exported to Europe through some form of either either direct connection via electrical cable or indeed hydrogen or, or another e-fuel that, 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 that's gaining some degree of popularity. Um, and, and really, that, that's the, that should be the goal for Ireland. This is a real potential big economic boosting industry for Ireland. Um, so we need to meet our own needs, but most definitely export to Europe. Europe does need, John, ultimately for Europe to get to 100% renewable, it needs about 3,700 gigawatts. And you know, a lot of European countries wouldn't have an amazing wind resource. The West Coast of Ireland is one of the best wind resources in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, you talk about that level of, of even hundreds of thousands of houses being 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 uh, powered by one offshore wind farm. That's that's incredible. It, it, it just why 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 have we been so historically slow to 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 do this? Because it's a no brainer. Like you you see all that wind. Um, you know what 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 has what has been delaying us so long? I think it's, 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 the progression with the technology has been slow internationally, but it is absolutely um, possible at scale now, both for fixed and floating uh, offshore wind. Um, in, in Ireland, um, you know, while there has been amazing progress in recent years in getting the legislative environment right for doing this, so, so for instance, only recently at the end of last year, the Maritime Area uh, um, um, Act came into place 
And that allows then the necessary legislative procedures to be put in place so that we can actually consent and build these developments. We haven't had that up to now. We're operating under older legislation that really didn't allow for us to develop beyond the 12 nautical mile limit. So legislation was one thing. Um, we didn't necessarily need it in Ireland. Uh, and also the, the biggest change has been the entire climate change and energy transition agenda. There's, there's no doubt in anybody's mind the need for this now and um, we see we see uh, temperatures on the planet rising um, we also see other impacts from you know geopolitical forces and, and Ireland really needs to you know ensure its own energy security for the future it needs to make the, the, the energy pricing much more stable than it is and um, we, we most definitely need to reduce our reliance on, on, on foreign fossil fuels and ultimately, all that then is, is what benefits the climate change and, and the, the transition away from from uh, from the older sources of energy. And, and the actual construction of these uh, offshore wind farms, I I, I I I had a notion that they basically were they were plonked in the ground. Uh, but I think uh, I think you mentioned just before we started talking, they're actually they're actually most wind farms offshore float and they're connected by uh, a big metal cable. To an anchor on the ground uh how hard is it to put these into place and um you know when they are in place you know how how safe are they for the marine environments they surround uh, well, well there's, a, there's a mix of technologies john uh, there are still a lot of fixed bottom uh, um, projects along the east coast in particular where, where it's slightly more sheltered and the water depth is shallower and that's a perfect technology that's tried and tested um, it's, it's economical to build as well. And that is pretty much, as you say, plonky on the seabed. It's, it's large diameter piles ultimately driven into the seabed. As we move into deeper and more exposed waters, we move, move, need to move towards floating. Um, and, and floating can, can accommodate water depths of, of hundreds and hundreds of metres. For us on our, on our south coast project and our west coast project, we're in waters of between 70 and 80 metres, that kind of territory. So we need to move floating. And ultimately, it's like mooring a ship. We're going to have, you know, chains and anchors um, holding each of these turbines, these turbine platforms in place. Now, we're going to have maybe 50 to 60 of these platforms per farm, and they're not small platforms. So there's a huge challenge. These are major civil engineering projects, major marine civil engineering projects, bigger than any projects Ireland has seen before. Um, and, and we have challenges, John, there's no doubt about it. We have challenges in terms of where we, we construct these from, what ports we operate from. There's currently no ports in Ireland really geared up to support floating, but there's a lot of ports really interested on the south and west coast in getting into that space. So there's, there's a big stimulus needed to get the ports there. There's, there's obviously internationally, there's, there's, there's shortage of materials and, and, and all construction materials, uh, steel, concrete, everything, is on the rise and that forms part of the process. And... Many, many countries in Europe and further afield are all aiming. They have various targets of 2030, 2040, 2050. They're all going to be looking for this technology, the materials, the ships, the ports, around about the same. This, this decade, up to 2030, let's say, is going to be very busy. So it's quite a challenge in terms of the supply chain as well. And we'd, we'd be very keen in DP to be developing an indigenous supply chain as much as possible in Ireland to give us that security of supply. Because that's the thing. I mean, when you think about companies like DP Energy, which have a lot of experience in this, how, how are you guys ramping up to make that that need? Like, are you are you investing in ships? Or are you uh, cultivating the engineering resources that you need to, to do this? Well, I suppose the stage we're at at the moment is we're kind of at the, the development stage. So we're designing the farm. We're, we're getting ready to, to go for our planning permission development consent, which would be to onboard Panola in a couple of years' time. 
Before that, we have to um, get what's known as a, a MAC or a maritime area consent to occupy the seabed. So we've got an in-house team of professionals working that space. But we're also bringing in a lot of external service providers. We're bringing in environmental experts to, to help us with our EIA or, for instance, we're bringing in engineers to help us with foundation design. So that's the stage we're at the moment. To get ready for that construction stage then, which is for us is going to be commencing sometime around about 2028. So it's quite a, quite a way away, but there's a lot of work to get there. We're engaging with all the ports to see, to tell them what we need and, and, and to do deals with them so they're ready to accommodate the, the, this, this, this process. With our relationship with Iberdrola, we're talking to a lot of the, the suppliers around the world, the suppliers of steel, the suppliers of foundation, suppliers of anchors, those kind of things. And we're putting together a supply chain plan in tandem for the Irish part of this, the Irish story that we want to really promote, we're talking to the third level education uh, institutions here. In actual fact, we're talking to primary school children, would you believe, through a STEAM programme we have, because those kids are going to be the technicians and the engineers who are operating these, these farms in the future. So we have a whole tranche of work to do on developing the skills and the workforce. We're, we're looking at the supply chain for all the materials we're going to need by 2028, and we're talking about all the ports as well. So there's quite a lot of early stage work now to get us starting construction 28 with a view of having those blades spinning by 2030. And um, you mentioned there are ports. Like, is, 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 it down, is that how it's structured, that you maybe have to do a deal with, say, different port authorities in order to access a certain area off sea? Is that, is that, is that how these things structure? It, it is really so, so. So ports for us, you know, they're, they're the connection to to the to, to the farms we're going to build. Um, we're going to have to bring materials from potentially all around the world and, and, and assemble them somewhere. And then for the floating projects, tow them out to sea, or for the fixed project, you know, bring them on a ship and install them from there. So ports are extremely important. Ports also obviously provide then a lot of storage capacity, some places for workforce to be, to be housed, to do all the assembly work and, and, and the storage and the marshalling work. So ports are really, really important. And, and Ireland has, you know, we have a mix, we have a mix of, of ports. Um, and for our projects, obviously, we have East Coast, so the lights of Ross Lair on the East Coast, for the South Coast. And we've got, you know, uh, the Port of Cork and Doyle Shipping Group based there as well, are very much in this space. And then for the West Coast, one of the leading ports is, is Shannon Foynes Port. Galway Port are interested as well in the future. So the port, the, those ports are all lining themselves up for what is going to be a very significant industry. And, and John, I, I would liken this to our pharmaceutical revolution or our kind of financial services or our high-tech um, um Industries that developed in Ireland, and it's it's of that scale in terms of economic development and employment. Our visions of very bustling ports and lots of people employed, which is good. It's a good. It's a good thing. Um, and, and I suppose then, like we're looking at really into twenty thirties when this this vision comes to life. Then when 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 actually. Uh, all around Ireland, or at least in, in locations or strategically located, that we'll have a serious amount of wind energy. How much do you think? Like, sorry, if you think about how much wind energy currently produces from inland, do do you think the the amount from offshore will be significantly higher in terms of what it can generate? It definitely will. I mean, these projects are all at scale, and they have to scale for a number of reasons. I mean, the cost of building is huge. So, if you're going to go to the cost of setting up to build these, you need to do a reasonably a reasonable size scheme. Around the world, for instance, you know, there are projects that start off with one gigawatt, they end up being four gigawatts in one farm over a series of phases. And that's very much Iberdrola's kind of MO. They, they, they develop hubs, they develop the East Anglia hub 
On the east coast of the UK, they start off with six or 700 megawatts and it grows, grows, grows step by step. It'd be the same in Ireland. What we're going to see probably by 2028, we're going to see some of the what's known as phase one projects on the east coast energizing and, and, and starting to contribute to our renewable energy under the grid. And then it's going to be by 2030, we're going to see those other projects on the south uh, kind of veering around to the west coast. Ultimately, that, that 2050 target, which is uh, one of the government's targets for that 30 gigawatts, that's going to be primarily on the west coast and it's going to be primarily floating as well. Now, one of the things that comes to mind is that uh, when I talk about export of energy to Europe, for example, through, through, through an interconnector, when when you think about it, um, you know Ireland uh, remains within the European Union, unlike the British, uh, the the UK, which decided to Brexit. Um, you know, but then that leaves us with a few countries on off the Atlantic. You know, you got obviously Portugal, Spain, France, uh, Norway, some Sweden, mostly Denmark, uh, bits of Germany. Uh, we could really be in a really pole position here in terms of this sheer amount of output we could generate and, I suppose, compete with other countries to export into the European mainland. Oh, absolutely, John. You're, you're spot on there. We are absolutely in, in the best location in Europe. We're the furthermost west. We have this amazing wind resource. We have a continental shelf, which means we have relatively shallow waters as well, so it keeps those construction costs down compared to, for instance, California coast, where they're putting wind farms in potentially a 1,000 metres of water. So we can absolutely um, power these countries. Germany, for instance, has a huge energy requirement. It's just not going to get it generated from renewable itself. It's going to have to get it from other sources. We do need a network. We do need, do need a network of interconnectors to get the, the electricity directly into mainland Europe, for sure. But also, just touched on earlier, hydrogen. There's a lot of work being done in Ireland on hydrogen. And, you know, we, we can we can manufacture green hydrogen in Ireland. There's a company called EIH2, actually based in Cork as well, who we, we we're in discussions with. And we could use our green renewable electricity to manufacture green hydrogen. That hydrogen can be shipped to various companies. And we've had... Um, Norwegian delegates, we've had Dutch delegates, we've had a number, of, uh, we've had German delegates coming over from the countries interested in buying that hydrogen. And that hydrogen then can go into boilers, but of course, to, to generate electricity, to generate heat, but of course, it doesn't have the impact that, that fossil fuels have. It's, it's carbon neutral ultimately. So there's a number of export methods there, and Ireland is absolutely in pole position to, to support and supply Europe. What what are the blockers to, to rob a terrible corporate term? What's 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 what what could possibly inhibit this opportunity? Like I know um, on the onshore wind side of things, um, you know, planning permission is is an often a, a much cited issue. Um, you know, there are as many proponents as people against it as well. People who, you know, landowners uh, are seeing the benefit of it, and many are involved in consortiums with energy companies. Um, but when it comes to the offshore side of things, what what could potentially be in the way? What's what what stormy seas could could slow us down? That's a good one. Story sees, yeah. Well, well. I suppose we, in, in DP here, we try not to think about problems. We try to think to think of those challenges because we do believe that they're all resolvable. They're all, they're all. We can get over them all, you know. And um, but there are a number. It, it probably is worth just touching on some of these, and they are important. We've we've touched on ports. Ports ports is a really important one for us. We don't have the ports in Ireland at the moment. We've actually spoken to a lot of the ports in West Coast UK, but they're busy. They're busy over the next 10 or 15 years. So they can't support us. So we have to develop our ports in Ireland. And at the moment, our ports policy, the government ports policy, doesn't allow the Irish government to provide financial assistance to the ports for projects like this. I think that might need to be changed. The, the ports need assistance in being able to develop. 
The supply chain we touched on as well, John, that's, that's the next part of that. We have to develop an indigenous supply chain. We don't want to be reliant on firms across the world to provide all we need, both for construction and indeed for the operational maintenance phase. We want to develop an indigenous supply chain. I don't envisage we'd be manufacturing turbines in Ireland, but we could very well have a, a, a number of assembly companies here. They could be partnering with much larger European firms and, and, and we could have huge economic and employment benefits on but, but the supply chain, from a purely selfish perspective, we need those materials here so we can build the farms. And going hand in hand with the supply chain is skills and workforce. And across the board, when I speak to all my colleagues and other developers, we speak to government departments, we speak to supply chain companies, staff is a huge issue. Workforce is a huge issue in Ireland. In fact, it is Europe-wide. But from the Irish perspective, we need a lot of work. And we need to be talking to those kids from primary school, secondary school, third level, training the people for the future, but also attracting people to come back home. Maybe people have worked overseas in this space or worked in the oil and gas industry and the skills are transferable. So the, they're the three key things, really, the ports, the skills and the supply chain. The legislation largely is coming into play. You know, there hasn't been legislation for many years. It is in place now. The government is doing a very good job at, at pushing that through. But again, back to the, the skills the, the, of Borpanola and, and, and MARA, the Maritime Area Regulatory Authority, they're going to need to have staff to be able to deal with all these, these potential applications coming in. And finally then, John, really, I think oh, above all that, we need an industrial strategy. We need some kind of government-level strategy that is looking at this space. And, and, and various arms of government are looking at this. But we need to look at this really as a country as a whole with, and not, not be working together rather than fighting against each other working together to develop and exploit this resource sustainably that we can then export to Europe and, and, and really Ireland benefits hugely. Well, Adam, thank you so much for that. I think you've called out a great challenge there for an opportunity for entrepreneurs who may be thinking of, well, this is a great business area to go into if I want to create a, you know, an assembly business and, and an engineering business. Um, great message there for parents and kids as well. You know, this is the future. It's exciting. And um, yeah, and policymakers need to take note. <laughs> it's it's all happening. So Adam Cronin, uh, DP Energy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, John.